1: The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite t-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR.
2: Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixed Down. I'm Stefan Schutt. Earlier this year, a Senate inquiry into the current state of public interest journalism reported that an astonishing 2,500 editorial jobs have been cut from media organisations in Australia since 2011. In the latest round of job losses, the ABC just announced that it would be cutting 20 more journalists – including senior reporters, from their news-gathering teams. So what happens when journalists are made redundant? To answer that question, this week we dig into Communication Mixdown Archive to replay an interview done last year with Laurie Zion. He's a former journalist himself and now an academic at La Trobe University, and he's been involved in an in-depth study of the aftermath of job losses in journalism. Communication Mixdown co-presenter John Langer picks up the story.
1: Now, we're going to be talking about journalism and basically what I guess I'll describe as the crisis of journalism, the crisis in journalism. I think journalism is at this point in time, particularly I would describe uh, investigative journalism and what might be called public interest journalism is facing are these kinds of journalisms are facing very bleak times. I would describe it as a kind of existential crisis, a crisis of identity, and perhaps even a crisis of survival. The question I'm interested in, it's something that uh, our guest uh, who's on the online at the moment on the phone, Laurie Zion from the Department of Media and Communication at La Trobe University, question that he's been asking, and I guess something that I, I'm asking as well, is what happens to people who essentially were journalists were attempting to become journalists and they meet a roadblock. In the case of journalists working, uh, in the case, for example, of Fairfax Media, there's uh, a proposal to sack 125 journalists, about a quarter of their editorial staff. What happens to people going into universities, into tertiary education to study journalism? Where do they go as a result of the shrinking uh, possibilities of getting work? Well, Laurie Zion is, has been doing a five-year study uh, exploring, essentially, the aftermath of journalism redundancies in Australia. Welcome to Communication Mixdown, Laurie.
3: Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: What I wanted to start with is, two years ago, it was estimated that 2,500 journalist jobs had disappeared in, at, at, in 2000, by 2012. By current count, it might be even up to 3,000, and apparently that's a rather conservative es- estimate. These figures are very astonishing to me. I wanted to ask you uh, to tell us a little bit about your, your research, the post-redundancy research that you've been doing. It's a longitudinal, longitudinal study, and just to give us a little bit of background.
3: Yeah. Um, John, just start by saying that that figure of two and a half thousand and 3,000, that's since the start of 2012. So there actually have been redundancies in in large newsrooms, uh, not at the same rate, but certainly in the five years that preceded that as well. So um, it was during 2012, I was actually having lunch with a former student of mine who got an internship and then a job at Crikey and who now actually is a journalist at The Age. And he just said to me on one of these days when we were in both in the city having lunch, well, this would be a great PhD thesis for someone and I was thinking, well actually, you know, um that it, it could be a great PhD, but uh, you know, what about taking this study a bit further? Because Um, I think everyone knows when you're looking at um, a big event in someone's life that there are the immediate impacts, um, you know, in the initial phase. And then people do adapt or not adapt (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. according to their own circumstances over time. And I guess we could all see in 2012, even if we didn't imagine the actual scale of what the loss would be in terms of journalism jobs in the years that followed, we could certainly see that this was not the end of the process. So um, together with a few colleagues from different universities, we decided to try and do a pilot study that would look at, um, you know, how were the people who'd lost their jobs that in that last year, how were they uh, dealing with that experience? But at the same time, we decided that we'd like to pitch this as a study that would keep going uh, for four or five years, because we wanted to really see what happened to people over time after that very first uh, sometime shock of Uh, or or sometimes something some people really wanted, which was to be able to take a redundancy package. Whatever the circumstances, what would become of these people? Would they stay in journalism? Would they go into other areas? Would they decide to to not work um, if they were in a position to do that? All those questions were really uh, bubbling around at that particular time.
1: And uh, your work is looking specifically at Australia. Give us a sense of what's happening around the globe, because, because I imagine the same sort of thing is going on virtually everywhere.
3: Well, yeah, um, it's it's certain. There's certainly versions of this that have been going on everywhere, and I think it's really interesting uh, from our point of view that when we started looking at this, this um, uh, they call them layoffs, not redundancies in the US that there'd been an enormous number there. And I think for a little while, there was some hope in Australia that what was happening there was happening over there. It wouldn't necessarily happen here. And if it did happen here, it wasn't gonna be quite as bad. And I think um, that the study that we also found that was done in the UK in 2010, was also, I suppose, reporting on an environment which was ahead of the curve when it came to what was happening here in Australia. And so um, part of our project now is actually looking at um, at this process in different countries. But what we've already, I suppose, been able to realise pretty quickly is that Australia was not um, the first country really to experience this really deep cut level of cutting into major newsrooms. And uh, we weren't the last either because there have been a number of countries in Europe where Perhaps the business model isn't configured in exactly the same way as here, where it seems from what we can tell that the, the level of cut hasn't been quite as bad.
1: I, I'd like to come back to that question about the business model and, and some of the other possibi- possibilities that, that have been proposed in relation to supporting what might be called uh, public interest journalism, investigative journalism. But tell, tell us... A, a, a little bit about how you got your sample I, I mean that interests me where, where did you, Where did you find people? Did you just simply send out you know letters or how, how did it work
3: no it 's a good question and in fact, uh, we were aware that someone had wanted to do this in the states but couldn 't actually figure out a way to find people um, we 've got a couple of partnerships in our, in our um, study we 're funded by the Australian Research Council, and one of our research partners is the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance. And um, in, in this case, what they've done is they've, uh, we, we, we got, we spoke to them very early in the process when we were still coming up with how we would actually do the study. And so um, we reached an agreement with them. And um, as you'd be aware, John, everything's got to go through ethics committees at university, you know, how we actually mm-hmm. approach people and contact people as well. But this ended up being a good way to do it, that they would put stuff in their newsletters. They called some of the members back. They were aware, gone through the redundancy process, and asked permission for, um, you know, from them to uh, for us to be able to contact them as well. So um, it didn't give us a sort of perfectly rounded sample. Perhaps there are a lot of people also who who clearly had, um, you know, they'd been in the news. Their names had come up in the news. So and so's left the age, or so and so's left, you know, um, um, courier mail or whatever. So we tried to work around publicly available information, but we're also assisted a lot by the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance, who remain partners in the project now.
1: And how many people were finally in your at least the initial sample?
3: Uh, We got we're able to approach about 500 people, and a a bit more, a, a little over half of those. Uh, responded to the first survey, and we gave people the chance to opt in or opt out of the different activities for this project. So, uh, some of them said that not they didn't want to be contacted again, hmm. and um, and you know, but mostly people wanted to stay in it. So we haven't got that many people in our annual surveys now, but we've still got a healthy sample, and uh, it's certainly um, I actually thought we did better than I was. Uh, Imagining we would in in terms of the initial response. So, yes, um, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's not everyone, but it's certainly yeah. um, a good sample.
0: The Green Left Weekly comedy debate is back. We live in a time of crisis, of impending doom, and the fear of nuclear war. But we still need to laugh. This year, comedians will debate the very real question. Will Trump tweet us into oblivion? Join Master of Ceremonies Rod Quantock for a sparkling night of progressive comedy featuring Sean Bedlam, Pauline Farts on Hellchild, Kirsty Mack, Gabe Hogan, Frank Hamster, Morven Smith and more. Tickets are $50 Solidarity, $30 Regular, $22 Low Waged and 12 concessions. Concession. There'll be a bar and the opportunity to buy a delicious dinner. Saturday, June 16, 6.30pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Will Trump tweet us into oblivion? A fundraiser for the radical newspaper Green Left Weekly. Bookings are essential. Phone nine six three nine eight six double two, 8622. Or go to trybooking.com forward slash VBYO. Green Left Weekly is a 3CR supporter. 3CR Radiothon 2018, fight for your Mic. The 3CR annual Radiothon fundraiser is almost here. From June the 4th to the 17th, we're asking you to help us stay on air by making a generous donation. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. To donate, call... 3 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2018. Fight for your mic. So
2: what happens when journalists are made redundant? That's our focus this week on Communication Mixdown. And here's more of John Langer's discussion with Laurie Zyne Who's been researching this question?
1: Now, I want to offer a, offer my crude summary of your findings. You found some of the overriding themes when you did actually speak to people or get them to respond to your yeah. questionnaire and your 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 study. They expressed their 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 redundancy experience in in these ways. That redundancy affected their health their well-being, their self-esteem, redundancy affected their income, their employment prospects, and it also affected well, essentially created worries about gaining new skills. I wanted to ask you as the researcher doing this, what were the findings that were most surprising and most unexpected for you when when you when you got the results?
3: Um well, actually I think that the thing that keeps coming back to me and um is making us... It's still coming back to me now, you know, in this, we, we haven't finished the project yet, but, but how different the experience was for different people. Um, and even in the first survey, we were finding that people... Um, you know we're still recovering in some ways from the redundancy experience a lot of people but some of those same people would say actually my sense of well-being's improved i'm feeling really good or i'm really excited about what's going to happen and every time someone you know every time there's a comment from anyone in our team which characterizes the general response in a way that you know it makes it seem like people have had a really rough time, someone will pop up and say, wait a minute, that's not my experience. And in fact, mm. in the initial phase when we were doing the questionnaire, some of the people who did the response said, you're clearly not who uh, we're looking for because, mm. you know, I've actually really um, thrived from this whole experience. So mm. Mm. I think um, it's an important point, I think, because, um, in some ways now in the, you know, the upcoming, um, Senate inquiry that's going to look into the future of public interest journalism, um, I don't think that the fate of newspapers can be equated to the fate of all the people that work there. Many people have found different careers or have gone into different areas of journalism or are just enjoying a different pace in their life. Um, having said that, There are a lot of people who've done it really tough out of redundancy. Anecdotally, we're hearing a lot from people who say, when you're over 50, it's really hard to get job interviews, even if you've got all this experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the responses, really, when you look at the detail of the answers that they're giving, um, relate to what stage they're at in terms of, you know, were they already looking at retirement or were they mm. doing it tough raising a family and, and having a range of financial responsibilities so that the drop in income, you know, would be mm. um, would, would really hit hard? And also I think this whole issue that's much broader than uh, in the case of journalists where people who've, you know, had stable careers and find themselves entering the job market past a certain age... And half our sample had been, uh, were, were, the average age in our sample was around 50 and about half of them had been, the average time they'd spent in, in, in their jobs was more than 20 years. So. You know, some people just deal with change better than others, and some people realise, well, something that looked like it might be straightforward has turned out to be quite complicated. But it's interesting, a couple of years on from that, that income levels are recovering, and in the, you know, a quick look at our most recent survey, only one person in our entire survey said that they were actually unemployed. But um, mm-hmm. a lot of people were doing uh, part-time or freelance work, mm-hmm. so, this This is another theme that you know we hear yes. a lot about more broadly this precarious work syndrome where people might be getting uh, work, but it 's not necessarily the amount of work that they want or in the structure that they want the
1: thing, Another thing that uh, I read that in your discussion of your your results that uh, some some of the journalists moved into p r and into public relations and they saw that as a as a highly stigmatized in some cases highly stigmatized move and some of them described it as going over to the dark side and and then others said that this was actually a a huge opportunity for them
3: yeah i mean one person on you know this was an anonymous response i don't know who said it but said that you know in the newspapers i was doing journalism now when I'm working for an NGO, public relations, uh, you know, I feel that I'm contributing more to the common good. And I think that um, it's, really, it's really interesting because public relations is one area of work, I suppose, that's had a, you know, quite a substantial infusion of, of people who've got extensive journalism experience. And um, you know this area is now characterised as communication, or you know, strategic communication as well. And so I think for some people it's been, well, I've always thought like this about you thought this about uh, public relations, but actually, um, you know, the 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 job's stimulating and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Other people uh, are not so flattering about it as a profession, but they're saying this is the work I can get. Mm. But I think that. Um, you know, what we're seeing here, I think, reflects the broader pattern of um, uh, that we're seeing in, in other professions where, you know, if you said 30 years ago in your first class of the year teaching undergraduates you know, what does a journalist do? There would be quite a clear and common understanding of what that role is. And what we notice now with graduates from our degree at La Trobe in, in sports journalism, for instance, that some of them will go into jobs like, you know, being a media manager for for uh, a suburban footy league that didn't exist a few years ago mm-hmm. and that combine, you know, strategic communication and, and journalism in terms of writing up um, all the yeah. events in the club. So... That, that 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 merging of that uh not total merging but the you know the, the overlap we get now i think is mm. a reflection of how much the media itself is changing
1: this is an interesting development and in fact leads to my next question because I was going to i'll put it this way i there's a sort of a paradox in play and you're someone involved in journalism education and yeah. as I understand there's more journalism courses being offered at particularly at tertiary level, than ever before. It seems like almost every university now has a, has a course in journalism. And yet journalists are finding themselves more and more out of work or in, in precarious work in un, unprecedented numbers. How does this get reconciled in terms of, I guess, the, what, the kind of things that are happening in, in the teaching area, in the education area, and I guess you could call it in the professional marketplace?
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good question and it's obviously something that, um, you know, that, that we do engage with a lot. Um, you know, like many media or journalism programs at La Trobe, we've reconfigured it, uh, not, not simply in response to the market, but, you know, in, in revising our course offerings, we've included a new stream called Media Industries where people, uh, are, where students are trained in, in media production and I think that you know, we do get this paradox through um, surveys of of jobs where it's possible, you know, depending on how you interpret them to say, well, there's actually, you know, there's more media jobs than before. Well, some of them might be quite precarious or or entry level, but there's certainly um, a a demand for people with specialised multimedia skills. And I think that we've got to make a really big distinction between, you know, what we're training um, students to do now and what um, traditional journalists who you know went into newspapers at 18 were were trained to do in terms of their you know the way people manage technology mm-hmm. um, I think too that um, there's more uh, there's more kind of media production if you like in a range of jobs that are not specifically um, journalism or, or media jobs so it's more and more common now for example for uh, people who work in professions that are not Media to need to know how to engage with mm. social media mm. to be mm. able to write in a, in a way that uh, attracts attention. So, the actual skill base of journalism, mm. and, and remember that it wasn't all that long ago when, you know, there was um, not just in Australia but elsewhere, I guess, a sense that, you know, what a journalist does is quite specific and, you know, and, and, and isn't the same as anywhere else. Mm. But journalism skills, if you like, and acts of journalism um, are permeating a lot of the. Uh, professions where they probably didn 't exist before i uh, don 't forget that like in the post war period in Australia, a lot of people 's workplaces were factories mm-hmm. where you wouldn 't mm-hmm. actually even necessarily be required to speak over the course mm-hmm. of the day as part of mm-hmm. your working life <laughs> yeah. and now our jobs are much more service industry Absolutely. much more engaged with other people yeah. so that 's part of it, and there are of course new opportunities opening up in the media that didn't exist before yeah you know the large um the large masthead uh, and and increasingly television have been shedding jobs and uh we heard today some abc radio jobs are going to go but at the same time the abc is an example is creating a whole um what they're saying i think is about 50 jobs in in uh, you know for the regional network mm. um so there's There's different things uh, opening up. The Guardian has started in Australia. Now, these aren't direct replacements of what we had in the large-scale newsroom, and I think there's still very serious questions to raise Mm -hmm. about whether these smaller outfits really are able to serve the public with the kind of public interest journalism, uh, investigative reporting, and the coverage of every municipal council meeting for local papers. But we're still seeing, I think, that, there is um, there is renewal in, in in journalism as well as a decline mm-hmm. in terms of the traditional jobs.
1: Mm-hmm. Laurie, I'd, I'd really like to talk more to, about about these things. There there are obviously huge amounts of of uh, issues involved here and i'm particularly interested in fi- in finding out a bit a bit more about your research when you go uh offshore as it were to other countries yeah. and i i want to thank you so much for your time this evening because the plan was laurie that we weren't going to spend as long as we did but i'm really glad we did and I, <laughs> I think we covered a whole bunch of issues so thank you for your time
3: uh great pleasure and thanks for having me on the program
2: well, that was Laurie Zine from the Department of Media and Communications at La Trobe University. And that interview with John Langer was done in the middle of last year, but the issues still have a good deal of relevance 12 months on. The research being discussed in that interview is part of the New Beats Project. It's a five-year-long study of the aftermath of job losses in journalism in the Australian context. Links will be available on the 3CR Communication Mixdown website, along with the podcast of this show. And that's all from us this week. Communication Mixdown will be back next Thursday, 6 p.m. And don't forget the 3CR Radiothon is coming up in June, so dig deep and donate. It's that way that 3CR and programs like Communication Mixdown stay on air for another year.